What we do with reflective inquiry is we help people climb a tree in their brain and look down on their thinking. And they look down and they see the assumptions they're making out of fear and blocking out everything else. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll learn from a ever-increasing number of thought leaders in the world who I'm speaking here with regularly now to help open a new era for us all. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway that almost no one knows about. And here at the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, we're celebrating that wave by talking to thought leaders who are creating a new future for us all. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of a website at everwideningcircles.com. 2014, I realized that my patients have a lot more downward spiral conversations with me and the weight of the negative news and the negativity on social media was really starting to bring otherwise cheerful people down. So I started writing what is now thousands of articles with thousands of links to goodness and innovation and insight happening in the world. And all along the way, I was having these great conversations with innovators, like the wonderful person I'm going to bring to your circle today. And um, finally, last October in 2020, I decided to start recording these conversations in the form of a podcast. And here we are. So today we're going to talk with Dr. Marsha Reynolds. She is, oh, she's one of my favorite people that I've stumbled upon in this journey with Everwinding Circles. Marsha, I think she's a coach's coach. And of course, all of us know this, this burgeoning world of people that are in the field of serving others by coaching them through many different aspects of life. And Marsha has a, an incredible global reputation for being the coach's coach. So Dr. Marsha Reynolds, will you give us so much better notions about the scope of your work? Welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. It's, it's so joyful for me to be here because I, I love the concept of it's not necessarily that people are now shifting to being finding joy and, and doing things that, that help each other is we're recognizing it. Oh. We're recognizing it because I've been fortunate to travel around the world since the mid-80s with the companies I work for and now for my own business. And, you know, people say, aren't you scared? <laughs> I'm like, what? You know, there's just amazing people and they're always helpful. And, and how many times I've been saved because I didn't know where I was going. And there's always someone shows up for me. It's like there's angels everywhere. And, and we so support each other as humans that we only look at that negative piece. And so in my work, I, I believe the focus is working with people's thinking their thinking patterns, you know, because they do get in what you said, that downward spiral mm -hmm. and not looking at other possibilities. Yeah. And that's what I found the power of coaching does is to widen perspective, to see all that's possible and the good that's happening right now that we can embrace. Well, you know, this is at the heart of my own work. My own work is to make sure as many people on this planet, lofty goal, but I'm up, I'm up for it, as many people on the planet as possible know that what we see 
in our online lives on the 24-hour news cycle and social media is a tiny slice of reality. Tiny. I too, I've spent the last <laughs> 27 years dragging my children all over the planet to some really off the beaten place path places. And, you know, my kids don't see the world we see on the news and yeah. social media. They saw, they saw people in bleak places living with incredible beauty and generosity. Oh my gosh, people have shown us so much generosity in bleak places. And then there's the ingenuity. Oh, right. Oh, now there's something to fall in love with in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Right. You know, we humans are, it's beyond survival, you know, that creativity of let me figure this out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and you're right. And, and the things that they put together that you'd never think of that works. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. Well, okay. So today in our conversation, what I want to do is give people the rest of the story mm-hmm. about humanity, each other, the, mm-hmm. you know, And to do that, I think you're in a specifically good place to help us lift our heads up, to see things in a new way with new perspectives about how our own brain works, because that's something I really love about you. I really love people who use science as the foundation of the principles they teach others. And you seem to be really keeping up with brain science. And so, gosh, uh, as we go through our conversation today, share away. Feel free. And I know, (laughs) I'll tell you, uh, Dr. Reynolds is a straight shooter. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So she will feel free to break up some of the myths that are out there as we go along today, too. She just before in our short conversation before she broke a myth for me on a book that I used to I used to think a lot of but now. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not even going to mention it to give it uh, any oxygen. Okay. So we had an amazing conversation a few weeks ago when we were catching up after a long time during the pandemic, we hadn't spoken. And I wrote down some questions and we can feel free to vary any direction we want, Dr. Reynolds. But anyway, okay. So here we go. Marsha, the first thing I loved from our conversation was how you made me aware that all of us, whether it's in our family life or in our business life, we're having to lead people that are scared to death very often during this pandemic. Tell, right. Talk to us about, about the way forward there. Some- yeah. Well, you know, um, one thing, talking about the brain, you know, the brain's primary function is to protect us. It's not there to make us brilliant and loving. It's, it's number one directive is, is this safe? Well, that's been pushed out of whack <laughs> because the two major things that we feel unsafe is control. Do I have any control over my life? Which is, we don't, but we like to think we do. And predictability, what's going to happen tomorrow? Which we don't know, but we like to think we do. <laughs> and But that was all blown out of the water. It's like yeah. we now know nothing's certain. And there's not a lot that's within our control. And being able to live with that has been very difficult to make the transition to well, this is the way life is, you know, and accepting that it's been there all along, but we've been using our imagination (laughs) to think we had control and predictability. So, you know, this is where it comes in, in terms of like leading and coaching and being with people. It's just first, you know, like hearing, allowing them to state these, these new fears that have come forward 
without jumping in and saying, well, here's how you fix it or here's what you need to do, you know, because that just makes it, uh, you know, like something's wrong with me. But then to be able to look at, well, is there anything that you would feel is within your control in your life, accepting that the bigger picture is not? Is there anything that you could create that might give you a sense of purpose and a way forward knowing things are uncertain? So how can we now live with both? How can we now live with both? And that, you know, is a trans- transformation which takes time. It's not a change that we can immediately do. So, you know, and I think companies have been trying to do this for a long time because they're, you know, they, they're constantly having to change mm-hmm. and they either do or they don't. Um, I've worked for both. I've worked for companies that have gone bankrupt and companies that, that exceeded all expectation. But the pace of accelerated change that's occurred now is, is making it just more difficult. Yeah. And, you know, a a previous guest who I was chatting with, we had this wonderful conversation about how, what a leveling process Mm -hmm. the pandemic has been, because didn't matter who you were, how much power you had, how much influence, none of us Mm -hmm. was, was safe and none of us could predict the future. Oh my God. Right. It was Einstein who said, you know, reality is an illusion um, but a very persistent one. <laughs> so, but again, because the brain, you know, is always seeking, you know, what's what's what could hurt me. But it's a meaning-making machine, and so it's like I look at things, I make meaning about it, and then I feel safe, even though we're just making it up, you know, okay. totally making up um, our sense of reality, and and that's hard for people to accept. Do you think there's some trick to, I always talk about one of my very favorite TED Talks I share with people all the time, I'll make sure it's in the show notes, is this incredible TED Talk done quite some time back called uh, What Fear Can Teach Us. And this wonderful author, oh, she's the, anyway, she's a great storyteller. She takes us through the shipwreck of the Essex, which was back in the 1800s during the whaling days. It's the story that Moby Dick is, is based off of. In any case, the, the crew was thrown into the water and they had three choices. Yeah. Then I'm not going to give you any more. Spoiler alert. Go look on ever-widening circles and put what fear can teach us. And there's an, I, I kind of lead you through a thought process yeah. on that. So I, what I hear you saying is the brain is always scanning for things that disorder and danger mm-hmm. that might be essential to our being able to survive. And we're telling ourselves stories all the time to make meaning of the thing that we just recognized, right? Yeah, yeah, right. It's like, you know, I go hiking and walking every day and I'll see something in front of me and I think it's a paper bag and I complain about people littering and then I get closer and realize it's a rock. (laughs) Exactly. How can we avoid these telling ourselves these stories that are so wrong and acting on them? Yeah, Well, you know, I think just even this conversation, the awareness that I'm making it all up, (laughs) you know, and because then it's like, well, okay, maybe it's that. I think it's that, you know, it's just, I think it's that, but it could be something else. Mm -hmm. So that kind of leads into another question that came up in our, in our catching up conversation a month ago. You know, you mentioned that workers are experiencing our cultures differently. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, that was a bit mind blowing for me because some people may know listening to this podcast, I I mostly put my time into the ever widening circles universe of platforms, but I'm still a practicing dentist. And in the dental office, I definitely noticed my staff, most of them have been with me for 20 years. They were yeah. experiencing our existing culture entirely different. Tell me, tell me how that works. Well, let me just ask you, what's one thing that they're doing differently now? Okay. Well, people always think that the mask is such a, a horrific part of new new part of their lives, but we were wearing masks eight hours, <laughs> ten hour days right. forever. So it's not probably going to be what you think it is. For us, there's all these new steps that we have to do to screen people before they can wow. even enter the office. Mm-hmm. And we were pressed for t- quality time with patients before. Yeah. But for my staff who are very tuned in to the yeah. relationships that yeah. they have with their patients, man, uh-huh. stealing 15 minutes from that short hour they had for people, that has been a real right. pain point for my lovely, loving staff. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that's going on and not just in the workplace, but the sense of overwhelm. Mm. <laughs> in fact, I just did a, a three minute YouTube, you know, I do little couple times a month, little tips tip, 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 tip videos. And I found myself the other morning. Yeah. I was just kind of rushed for time. And I, and I, we, I got on, there's this whole team that helps me with this program that I'm doing. And I got on, and I started barking at her, you know, it's like, you know, you, you didn't set up the video, right. And blah, blah, blah. You know, this poor woman who's intimidated by me anyway, <laughs> I just steamrolled her and, you know, and I said, you know, I don't handle this well. And I remember that there was this communication thing that I did. And it said, when you get under stress, you should tell people to stand out of your way. (laughs) And I said, but is that just me? Don't we all kind of do that? We either like, you know, get really quiet and steam or we steamroll people. We don't handle the overwhelm well. Okay. This is huge. You know, things shifted with, Dynamics, home dynamics, power dynamics, responsibilities of, you know, if, if there's a family of taking care of, of them and what do I need to do and how do I handle all this new stuff, like you said, around mm-hmm. health. And even for me, I'm, I'm getting to travel this weekend and how many times I needed to check the website to make sure that I still can and what are the rules and what do I need to do to make sure I don't get stuck like in the airport in Germany or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too many things to remember and do that. It's just, yeah. it, it's, it clogs the brain, you know, and comes out in our communication and the way we are with people. And it, again, for leaders and and even friends of being able just to recognize this person needs a place to breathe, mm-hmm. just a place to breathe, doesn't need my advice or even to tell them to go breathe, but just give them a space. That's very interesting. I, I've noticed a version of that. I, I've noticed in situations, people are being kinder than they need to be. Huh. Mm. A lot more often, like, and, and this is, there's a really important nuance to that. Like not being kind, kind is relative. There's a scale. My brother, I remember my brother shouting at me one time, I am being kind. 
<laughs> right, right. Okay, when I said, oh, Alex, you know, with that old guy that's that's driving you crazy, you need to be kinder than you need to be. I am being kind. He's such a wonderful guy, my brother. I pick on him so much on this podcast. But then I found myself saying, no, no, just be kinder than the situation calls for. Hmm. So I've noticed that with people, but but we could do it a lot more often, couldn't we? Yeah. Well, you know, and, and when I hear you say that, I think you're right. You know, one of the things when I teach uh, coaches all over the world is seek to understand what they mean. Mm. So even the word kind, the I am being kind, you know, in his mind, it might be, well, I, I do things for this person. Yeah. And not about tone of voice or impatience. It's yeah. just, I do things. So, you know, first off, I'd always want to know what does that mean to you? Ah, Before I even say that. So I think when I think what we need to do for people, you know, is is just giving them a safe space to be, to show up whoever they are, however they are, to to just appreciate their experience in the moment quietly, to be still and allow it to occur. You know, and then what is it you need right now? What is it you need right now? You know, so I would see that more as a patience and a stillness um, than necessarily to define it as kindness, but it could be being kind. kind. I love your insight, though, about what that means. And it goes with a question that I really would love you to talk to us a little bit about. You know, when you and I were talking, I was saying, help me understand this whole coaching world. And there was a lot of things that you said to me that were just landed so beautifully and and I love others who are in the service of others. So coaching could not be a better field of me to just, it makes my heart sore to think there's that many people that want to help others. Okay. So yeah. one of the, one of the, I mean, there's like millions, like millions and millions, right? I know. It's so great. <laughs> it, it's such a great trend. And and really, I think you were kind of, weren't you one of the original Yeah, people? Yeah, I got into it by accident. You know, and helped to create the International Coaching Federation and, you know, uh, was one of the first uh, globally known coaches. And because I'm passionate about it, you know, based on all the work I did up to that point. Right. On on what does it really take for people to change? What does it really take? You know, and researching it and trying to implement that. And then I found coaching and went, oh, this is it. This is 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 where you can apply that. Right. But like, even now, you know, I'll do a a coaching demonstration and I'll get thousands of coaches that sign up to watch me coach. I'm like, that's weird, (laughs) but it's so true, you know, because if they're really having a purpose to make a difference, um, to help people see, to believe in themselves in a way they don't even believe in themselves right now, right. To uplift our consciousness. If their purpose is that, then they you know, somehow land and gravitate to coaching. So it is thousands and thousands of people around the world that are finding this way of being with each other. And whether it's formally coaching or just, you know, being a parent. Oh, yes. Yes. And, and, you know, being an empathetic employer or being an empathetic team leader. Mm -hmm. This, you know, this. And what is that? Even, you know, like kindness, what is empathy, you know, when I say, well, what is it you you think they want you to feel? And people say empathy. I say empathy is not a feeling. Empathy is the result of feeling, you know, 
Mm -hmm. I have to care and be curious. And then what comes forth is I have a deeper understanding of what you're experiencing, you know, and, and then I, I, I want to share that with you to talk about. That's empathy. But I have to be curious and care. I can't just like, well, I am being like your brother. I am being kind. Well, I, ha- I am. I do have empathy. Yeah. Well. Oh, that is so great. Okay. Well, maybe that, that factors into to this next little bit that I, I wanted to talk to you about. You know, empathy, if empathy is an outcome, then talk to us about these transformational conversations that we need to have, because that probably comes first. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'm going to back up just a little bit, you know, so in the mid 1980s, (laughs) you know, so I ended up, my first master's was broadcasting, but I ended up pushing around television sets for a psychiatric hospital you know, and working with the new, this new thing called a VCR with the nurses who didn't want to touch it. <laughs> but my job was for a training department. Okay. And then my boss decided to get her doctorate and dump the whole department in my lap. And my first assignment was management training. Okay. And I'm like, uh, I don't know how to design training. And so my second master's was to try to figure out what makes people change? How do they learn? How do they grow? So that launched me on, you know, the continual research of what really takes place to ch- really change, rewire the brain, not just tell them this is good for them and expect them to do things differently, which yes. is what we tend to do with leading and training. So for years, I tried to make my training better. And people would give me the happy faces and say, oh, you changed my life. And then as soon as things got awkward, they went back to old behavior. Okay. And when I found coaching was the same time emotional intelligence was just coming into being. And so, you know, mid-1990s, I started getting interested in emotions and the brain. And what I found was when we truly listen to people and just offer back, what we hear them saying so they can see it. They can see their thinking out here, which they can't do on their own. Once they do that, it all all, automatically, the brain goes, well, that does not compute. That does not compute and starts rewiring. And we have change and it's transformational because it's a new formation of thought, not transactional where I'm getting you to do something different transaction. Right. This is transformation, a new formation of thought. And that's why I'm passionate about coaching because that's what we do. Well, this gets to a point that I love that you said. I'm, if you see me looking off to the right here, I'm trying to keep our show notes in <laughs> real good order that my I'm wonderful. All over. <laughs> oh no, my wonderful producer is doing great. But I, I knew we could slide that comment up to where, right where we are now. So one of the things that you dropped on me the last time we talked that I loved was that you advocate for coaches not to just ask questions, yeah. but to put things back to people in their own words, what they just yeah. said, right. their opinions and all that. And I have had that happen to me recently by accident. And it blew my mind how weird it was to hear something that I just said come out of somebody's mouth. And I really needed some reassessment. So talk to us about that. Right. Well, you know, first off, I was a part of the original ICF competencies, you know, that we put out there. And 
never, ever, ever did we advocate to just ask questions. Okay. There was always a, you know, reflect the emotional shifts, you know, summarize, paraphrase, so they hear their thinking was always there. So that it got, uh, you know, migrated to coaching is asking questions was never the intention. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the thought, like when people say, well, coaching is like therapy. The reason why I know it did not come out of therapy is because my background is in learning theory. Okay. And in 1910, there was this guy that wrote a book that said, called How We Think. And his name was John Dewey. And he was an educational reformer that said, we have to get students to think more broadly for themselves. So in the classroom, when they offer an idea, we need to share the idea back, reflect back to them. So here's what I hear you saying. And then ask the question, what's led you to that? You know, that that belief that's in that statement, is that, you know, something you fully believe or somebody gave that to you? But we have to reflect back this, what they said in order for them to understand the question. It's called reflective inquiry. And it was John Dewey that coined the term reflective inquiry. Um. And that's what coaching is supposed to be or any conversation where and, and, and for me not to interpret and pour, put my own words into it, but actually just share back with you the key words the emotionally charged pieces that, okay, so I hear you say that, you know, that, that you feel stifled, that, that you're not being able to express your passion. Tell me more about passion. Just that can be so enlightening. You know, I can't help but hear you say that and think of interactions I've had with employees in the last year that were scared, scared to take the, the vaccine, scared yeah. to come to work, yeah. or with I've had with my teenagers. Mm-hmm. You know, this is huge. What if I would say to that, to my scared teenager, after they say something a little crazy, <laughs> what if I said, here's what I hear you saying, tell me yeah. more. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. So I hear you saying... It's not tested. So something horrible could happen. Like I could become a monster in six months. <laughs> I know that's, you're trying to stick with the science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's really interesting that you think that. And I'm wondering if there's a lot, the horror of what could happen, how is that compared to the horror that's been happening in the last year and a half? Mm, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because this, I, I talk all the time about how this is the time to experiment. Because people yeah. are expecting a lot less perfection from others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. this is true. And isn't it like, well, you know, the big thing is it doesn't work. And not that it's going to make us into a monster. Right. And then I mean, we move you know, on. It's like the flu shot. It works or it doesn't, you know? Yeah. And um, then we move on. But I, I noticed too, I always encourage my team to do this with each other, especially you know, a senior member to a junior member, because it seems to work out like that uh, so often when you're, when people are coaching each other and on a team, I always tell the senior member to say, now here's what I hear you saying. Yes. And about, <laughs> we've, we had funny conversations on the, the leadership level with the six of them and almost a hundred percent of the time, the person will say, no, that's not what I was trying to say at all. Yeah. What if we just left it there? What if we didn't say, now here's what I hear you saying? uh, uh, Well, you know, my my experience is it's not what I said. They say it's not what I meant. Yes. 
And I'm like, yay, then tell me what you really mean. Exactly. You know, because they don't express themselves. So you know, I always say, be be curious. Like I was mentoring this coach the other day and, and the client said, well, I really want an understanding of why I react the way I do in those situations. And he went with that. And I said, what did she mean by understanding? Did she mean that she would just um, completely see, you know, the triggers and why she does something or that, that it would give her an insight of what she might do differently? What does she mean by understanding? Mm. You know, because that's not an outcome understanding. What does she want instead of what she has? But I need to start with help me understand what you mean by understanding. Yeah. And that would start to get her to, to explore, well, this is what I want. You know, instead of just assuming that we understand what they want, because we don't know what they want. The first couple statements they make are never really what they want. <laughs> you know, yeah. oh, you know? That is so they're true. all like messed up around in their head anyway. And I always say coaching is just clearing the fog. Oh, that is so mm-hmm. true. And again, we can do that with each other, with our kids, with our coworkers and all that. Well, so, especially in these crazy times, we get really foggy. <laughs> Yeah. So tell me about the transformational conversations we need to have. What what's what are some elements about that that could stick that could be useful for people who are listening? Yeah. Well, it's much more simple than people think. Okay. You know, so um what I loved about Dewey's work is he said what we do with reflective inquiry is we help people climb a tree in their brain and look down on their thinking. Oh. And they look down and, and they see the gaps in their logic and, you know, the, the, the assumptions they're making out of fear and not and blocking out everything else. And the things that they need that they're not getting, but they're not asking for or the shoulds, the, the shoulds that are getting in the way of their dreams. You know, they can't do that on their own. You know, there's no such thing as self-reflection. My ego will block it, will totally block it. You know, and, and if you look at that, it's like um, the neuroscientists will tell you, we need an external disruptor because we get stuck in our thinking patterns and we believe them. But when we have an external disruptor and that disruption is just, so you're telling me this, this is what you, you know, you're thinking about this situation. What brought you to that belief? Just that. Just you know? that. Just that, you know, or, or like the time <laughs> oh, when if my I could boss have said of- to me, you know, it's like high achievers are always complaining, you know, because they want you to like acknowledge their great work, but they don't say, I need you to acknowledge my great work, you know? So they just complain. I'm the only one that does anything around here. Right. So I was doing that to my boss. You know, I'm the only one that does anything around here. They don't work hard enough. You need to manage them differently. And he said, Wow. It seems like everybody disappoints you. And then he slams me with, Would any, will anyone ever be good enough for you? It took my breath away. It took my breath away. One reflection and one question. And I've been recognizing how I've been sabotaging all my relationships all my life. And keeping people at a distance, you know, with my control thing. And you should do it this way and you should do it that way. And not just accepting them for who they are. One reflection, one question. Wow. Was that not transformational? It's transformational. I I think of all the, you know, harsh little exchanges my husband and I are having. We're coming up on our 40th wedding anniversary. 
good for you. <laughs> and but we still have the same harsh little interactions around the same things for pretty yeah. much the last 20 years. And I'm thinking <laughs> the next time I'm gonna try and have the presence of mind to yeah. ask for a deeper understanding about what that. What do you thing. mean by that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, you know, but 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 the thing about what you were asking about what, what's different in, in the workplace, you know, is the greater need for a deeper listening, you know, like another example, I had this woman who had moved into this place where she was screaming at people in the, in, in on her leadership team in meetings and, and a little bit of anger, but instead of anger management, they decided, why don't you talk to a coach? And, you know, when I just start exploring with her, so what happens in that moment that triggers your anger? Well, she'd say something and I'm like, okay, so is this new, you know, that they may be questioning your idea. No, they've always done that. Okay, something that's always happening. So what, what's really triggering your anger? Well, then she came up with something else. Okay, well, how is that different? Well, not really different. This happened three times and I finally said, who are you mad at, really? Mm-hmm. Long pause and she said, I'm so mad. I'm so mad at myself for accepting this move across the country away from my family. I'm lonely. Now they want me to take a move across the ocean. I'm going to like melt. I'm going to die. And and I'm so mad that I feel I have to take it because they offered it to me and I don't even want to be here now. I said, wow. Okay. Do you hear your anger? Do you hear what you've done to yourself? And that was all that was necessary. And you know what? She went back home and found a really good job close to home that was just as high level. But because she wouldn't stop and really look at what was truly going on in her brain, and it just took us five minutes. Wow. Just five minutes. She would have just taken this job, and I don't. I think it would. her anger would have turned into depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> we have to take a break because I want to I go exactly there. Because one thing does lead to another, and then we find ourselves so stuck we can't see the forest through the trees. Right. Right. It layers. It layers. Yes, it's layers. Okay. So let's take a break. I'm going to tell our listeners about this amazing new platform that we've created at Everwinding Circles called the Conspiracy of Goodness Network. It's this lovely place that where people who are doing good in the world, large and small, can find each other. I always say it's like big four social media platforms all roll into one without the mean people. (laughs) And um, so here, we'll take a break and then we'll come back and we'll pick it up where we left off. Do you thrive on learning from and collaborating with others for the good that's in the world? And becoming a better version of yourself, both personally and professionally, every day? We have built something just for you. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network. You can be a part of the first networking platform that prioritizes personal and professional growth as we work together to make the world a better place. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network is a vetted platform of entrepreneurs, creatives, and professionals who are committed to making the future brighter for us all, people like you. On the network, you can ask questions and find help with projects, share trusted resources, request and attempt workshops, Expand your network of thought leaders and learn from the experience of others to catalyze your work, interests, and passion projects. This is a place where all of us who are doing something to improve the world, large and small, can flourish. 
The $35 a month membership fee includes attendance to exclusive monthly happiness hours, where you can hear from amazing speakers and influencers. It includes participation in monthly community challenges that will improve your own life and the world around you. You'll have access to the network's mentor match service to grow exponentially in your insight and decision making. And you'll get automatic discounts on all of our courses and events. So join us, co-conspirators for goodness around the world, those who are doing anything they can to make the world a better place, are coming together on this network to collaborate, and it is time we find each other. Go to conspiracyofgoodnessnetwork.com for a simple three-step questionnaire to apply to be a member today. Let's connect, collaborate, and change the future. So now we're back. Dr. Marsha Reynolds is here with us talking about all kinds of new ways to look at how we are in the world and how others are in the world and be curious about it and dig a little deeper instead of following our emotions over a cliff each time we have a rugged interaction with somebody. Mm-hmm. So, Marsha, we had just finished talking about how if we're walking around with our with an emotion like anger on our sleeve, mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to slip into depression. And there's lots and lots of people out there in this world who are at that transition or who have already made it. Is there any way to, to look at the big picture or give us a few practical tips about how we recognize this in ourselves and others? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it, it's interesting, Linda, the, it's both ways. Either people were scared and upset about what happened with the pandemic, and then they turned angry, you know, which is part of like the grief cycle. We have losses in our life. But then there's those that were angry about everything. And now, you know, the level of cortisol we've had in our body for too long has broken things down. And, and so the whole body's trying to heal. And so we get depressed. It's so huge. Let's not skip over that. Mm-hmm. So cortisol, some people may know. Tell us a little bit about that cortisol cycle and stress and how it works over time. So, you know, one of my favorite books that I ran into, I don't know, 20 years ago is a book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers by one of my favorite neuroscientists who's out of Stanford, Robert Sapolsky. And if you want to be entertained, watch his videos on YouTube. He's a scientist and he's hilarious. Okay. hilarious. Okay. So he teaches in the winter and he, and then he goes and he observes monkeys in the summer. And, but he said, you know, zebras have the same stress response system that as we do, but zebras are only chased by lions once or twice a day. Mm-hmm. We're chased by lions all day long and we weren't built to be chased by lions all day long. So what happens is we only have a certain amount of adrenaline that we can use and the moment we were unable to, to produce any more adrenaline to handle the stress, we start producing cortisol, which is poison to the system, to every system in our body, including trying to lose weight and, and our sexual systems, not just our cardiac and our heart, but it makes us what's called cortisol crabby, oh. where our, our emotions are on a tightrope. You know, it's like somebody calls us like, what do you want? You know, or we get out in the car and we're yelling at people that just happen to not see us as they got in front of us. And 
you know, we were talking about kind. Well, we lose our kindness when we're, we're flooded with cortisol. Yes. Again, because it breaks down the system, all of our systems, it's hurting our immune system is one of the things. But the brain says this, you can't operate this way. And so it starts to just systematically slow everything down so, so we can heal from the damage from the cortisol. As the brain slows things down to heal, we feel depressed. Okay. We feel sad. We feel isolated. We feel all the, the uh, you know, the, the horrible things. And we only see what is then horrible in our lives. You know, so we go from this high adrenaline to, to numb, numb, numbness even. Not even just depression, but this numbness because the body's saying, you need a break. You need a break. And then as soon as we're we're healing, we're back to stress. So it's this ping pong thing we do. And the only way to get out of that is your work. Because the emotions that actually stop adrenaline during the day are the emotions that are triggered in the brain, the neurochemicals, okay, of dopamine, serotonin, that are triggered by appreciation, gratitude, love. You know, all the things that we say, oh, we should feel that way. Well, biologically, we need to. And you know the biggest one that can stop the adrenaline? Mm. Laughter. Oh, this is huge. Yeah. I mean, have you ever been mad at somebody and they made you laugh and you couldn't be mad anymore? That's because the laughter cut the adrenaline. You know, and so companies that say, well, there's no place for laughter. And, you know, and people just, you know, should eat at their desks. No, we have to be with each other and appreciate each other and make each other laugh. And we will be more productive if we do that because the brain's working more efficiently. Right. Yeah. You know, yesterday I was listening to an amazing podcast about confrontation. It was hard. It was really hard to listen to. But I stayed in it long enough and there were so many great stories in it. And there's this great story about Madeline Albright. Um, and uh, she was involved with some really, really intense negotiations back with the Israelis in her time. And they, the press made such fun of her, the caricatures of her in the press and, oh, the stuff that they did. And her response was to absolutely embrace it. (laughs) So what they were making fun of her for, she just did more of. And then she was at this really tight negotiation with one of the the leaders in that whole scenario. And they pretty much hated each other. And somehow she convinced him to get with her. And they did this funny, funny sketch together to open some big crisis convention. Mm -hmm. And they just made everyone absolutely fall apart the seams with laughter. And it changed the dynamic forever. In that, Absolutely. in that negotiation. Isn't that amazing? Yes. I mean, that's why, you know, pulling in um, improv acting exercises that are fun, not intimidating, but that are fun. You know, like, let me just share one exercise that every time I do this, people come back just red with laughter. So the exercise is called the beliefs game. So I just ask you, like, tell me one thing that you think people should do. That's just a petty thing. Yes. Um, you know, not against the law or harmful, you know, well, things like people put the toilet paper on the wrong way. Right. 
you know, or, you know, they shouldn't, that, you know, they should like clean up after themselves. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. So here's the game. So I take on your belief and I argue with you, your belief, and you have to argue against yourself and not come up with excuses, but come up with creative ways, reasons why, well, if people leave trash on the ground. It helps me exercise because I have to pick it up. <laughs> okay. You know, and the third yeah. time around is so hard because like, I don't want to give up my belief. I don't want to give it, even oh. though it's silly. And they come back just laughing, you know, whether they could do it or they couldn't do it, you know, and, and, but it opens up this huge conversation about how we cling to our beliefs, how it's hard to be creative, but if we are, it's the funniest thing on the planet, you know, and so exercise like that. Yeah. So can you think of a, a real life example of that? Oh, all the time when I coach, you just you like, you know, when people say, you know, well, nobody likes change. You know, they're all resistant to change. I'm like, well, that's interesting. Change. Have you changed anything in your life that was easy? Like bought a new house or, you know, relationships? Well, yeah. Okay. So you're saying nobody likes change. Are you a part of nobody? <laughs> or are you yeah. just a standout person? And they're like, oh, well. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, can we just step back and, and right. say, say that out loud? Nobody likes change. I can't. I can't say it. It's a stupid statement. <laughs> so we have these pretty tightly held beliefs. Mm-hmm. Back to your, your, when we hear it said out loud, it makes us kind of think twice about it. I love this whole movement towards critical thinking, towards, mm-hmm. uh, towards reminding us all that we have the power to just think for ourselves. But I want to stop the, you know, when I said we have the power to think for ourselves, but remembering that we don't critically analyze our thoughts. We don't. Okay. And this is why, you know, it's important to have a coaching culture to where safely I can just share with you what I heard you say and ask you a question. There has to be psychological safety in order to do that, though. Right. You know, otherwise you're going to feel I'm interrogating you or questioning. Are you questioning me? Right. And so that's why the being, the presence we bring to coaching is just as critical as the skills. So I can ask, I can feed back to somebody. I could tease them about their beliefs because they totally trust my intention. Mm-hmm. If oh. I did that and I didn't have their trust in their, and that they felt safe with me, it would, it would break down. So this is something we've got to focus on ahead of time is, yeah. is building the resilience in our organizations and our relationships and our families mm-hmm. by focusing ahead of time about trust, not yeah. hoping to conjure it out of nowhere when the, when, when we're, we're in walking. the moment or just to say, but, but you need to trust me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Does this have something to do with this concept of one of the things that you were talking to me about at, during our previous conversation was the soft eyes or the, the importance of your back? What were those concepts? Yeah. And how, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I've been noticing, even um, when you're talking, it's like when we have something that we feel, well, this is really important. You move in. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know what? We've been taught that that shows, you know, passion and interest when oftentimes, though, energetically, I move in and what do you do? (laughs) Move back. So if you notice, I pretty well keep a a pretty straight posture because I'm aware not just of what I'm feeling here. We often do feeling here. I'm I'm full body aware. And if I'm not aware of my spine, 
and where my spine is. And what I will do is I will tend to lean in. And when I get excited and I want you to do something and there's a sense of urgency, I'm going to lean in. And, and you know what? It breaks the dynamic, that safety of being with me, you know? And so it's like, yeah, I can still challenge you and we can laugh together. And, but I'm with you and I see you, I see you and you sense that. So I don't have any urgency to make you different to make you go do something. We're just going to be in this conversation together. Like, come be with me. So I want to embrace you. You know, as my acting coach said, you know, make it to where you're saying to people energetically, come sit in my living room and let's have a cup of tea. (laughs) You know, and so we're just going to talk through this and we're going to explore things. And maybe it might be a little embarrassing or it might be funny and that's okay. Because we're going to look at the impact of what you do and what you say and how it's getting in the way of what you want. This is so important. This is so important. So one of the things that you and I spoke about was that I can really focus on one thing. What am I giving? (laughs) See, now I've made you aware of (laughs) you're moving it. You know, what am I giving? One thing. Um, I don't have the self-awareness to change very fast. (laughs) And I don't want you to. I don't want you to because it's delight. And because what's most important is the energy you bring. So, you know, we can feel more than one emotion at a time. Yeah. I can like, you know, um, I think I was telling you about my friend who she's like my sister. We totally love each other. But um, there's times I know she's jealous of, of the success of my books. Right. You know, so she loves me, but she's jealous and I accept both. But thoughts, we can only do one thought. There's no such thing as multitasking. Okay. We move from one thought to another fairly quickly, but we can only do one thought. So like you said, before I go into a conversation, I have to sh- to prepare my body, not just my mind, you know, but my body. What am I feeling? What is it I want to feel? What, what emotion? You know, I always ask leaders I work with, so what happens when you enter the room? Because the moment you enter, they're sensing energy, you know, and and most of the time leaders just, you know, they practice, they rehearse what they're going to say, not what they're going to feel when they even enter the conversation. So we first have to look at, you know, what is it that I want to project? What is it that I want them to feel? Even if I'm irritated or disappointed by them, what emotion can I bring in that emotion of hope? I believe in you. I, I, I. I think we can change this. Yeah. You know, and and so that has to be first. And the recognition while I'm with you, you know, anytime you might trigger me, this is where emotional intelligence comes in, that I feel it in my body, a a tenseness. And I can breathe and release the tenseness and come back and be present with you. So you don't feel my tenseness. You just still feel my hope. Okay. This is so great. Okay. So... This says takes a lot of presence of mind. If you know you're going into, yeah, I think this is what you're saying. Please correct me if I'm wrong. So if I know I'm going into a conversation that could go just fine or could have some emotional moments, Mm -hmm. if I decide ahead of time what emotion I want to bring to it Mm -hmm. and probably the through line and and what emotion I want to be the through line through the whole thing, I'm going to come to it differently. Yeah. Totally. 
Yeah, and it, you're right. It is a discipline. It is a practice to 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 notice tension. You know, we call that a somatic awareness. I'm aware of what's happening in my body. I don't have to know if it's fear, it's anger, or whatever. I don't have to know. I just have to know I feel tense. And judgment is an emotion. I feel it right here. Just breathe it, release it. And remember that keyword, you know, calm, courage, care, hope. Just so you take your emotion to max, courage and care, you know, just. And, and remember that and feel it and you breathe it in and feel it to shift back to the emotional state, you know, and the other thing I would just want to share with you is when you said it could be emotion, emotional. It's why I wrote the book, the discomfort zone. Yay. They're emotional. That means something shifting. Yeah. You know, the best leaders make us feel a little uncertain in the moment. And then we learn and then we can move them forward. So if they're showing embarrassment, sadness, anger, okay. What's that about? What just came up for you that shifted, shit shifted? You know, I'm curious, you know, and if, again, if we're holding the space of care and, and hope, I can ask you what just happened just there. You got really like <sighs> resistant to what I was offering. What did I say that triggered that response? You know, and, and um, so we learn from our emotions. So the, there's such a great skill of appreciating and allowing the emotion, not being scared of it. And I work with leaders all over the world around that because they avoid difficult conversations because they're afraid of the emotions. But if they can change their belief that emotions are good and not bad, right? then it's just the conversation. <laughs> so does this kind of go with something I've been playing around in my head with lately about I talked to my ever widening circles team a lot about the fact that that friction is part of creating something new. It just is. <laughs> There's no way around it. And if we run around all the time trying to work so hard to avoid friction, we are probably a tamping down emotions that are going to just explode at some point. Yeah. And B, we are not availing ourselves of the tools that we actually have inside us to get ourselves to the new point we need to be at Yeah, in, in a world that needs creativity right now. We all have to creatively yeah. respond in our businesses and families and so forth. So right. talk to me about maybe if you have any thoughts about how we can think anew about healthy friction. Yeah. Well, you know, it comes back to the whole uh, concept of groupthink. It came out, what, in the 1960s? But the story of the, the challenger that, yes. you know, there were some scientists that knew there was a chance that this, this spaceship, you know, the challenger, the shuttle would blow up. Right. But they were constantly being told, you know, um, the media is pressuring us. We have to do this. We've done all our work and, you know, we have to launch. We've delayed it. We have to do that. We're going to start looking bad. And so the whole concept of self-image and, and get with the picture, don't cause ripples. Those scientists in the moment shut up, okay? Even though it was that morning, it, was, there was, it, it dropped below freezing in Florida. How often does that happen? How often does that happen? And the next day, it was warm enough that they, that they did not allow the safety for someone to say, wait a second. We've got an unusual circumstance and people aren't going to like us delaying this, but we have to. 
And but nobody had the courage to do that because of the don't cause waves, don't bring it up. We have to move forward. You know, and leaders do that. We have to move forward. But wait a second. What if there's a critical piece of information somebody's afraid right. to give? That's going to cause friction and going to cause a battle, but needs to be put on the table. Well, you know, we've quit talking about that. I've even heard lately somebody use the word groupthink like a good thing. Oh, we're in alignment. <laughs> we're in harmony. Let's move forward together. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no. You know, because then we we miss things and, you know, people might not die, but they could, depending on your company, you know, and that, that we have to allow for that and, and the dissenter, you know, not the person that's always finding the wrong thing, but just, right. you know, allow it to come forward. And, you know, even when they look at group dynamics, it's always been not to storm, but to learn how to live with the storming to honor each mm-hmm. other in the process, mm-hmm. you know, or even real briefly, you know, like the time I uh, was with my partner and we were rushing at the gas station and my, my credit card didn't work. He was pumping the gas and he saw it and he jumped over and he said to me, you know, if you try it more slowly. And of course I bit his head off. It's like, don't tell stupid things, you know? <laughs> and then in the car, I said, you know, I'm sorry, I bit your head off. You know, but when people tell me simple instructions, I tend to react. I tend to react. You know, I'll work on it. Probably won't change in this lifetime. And he said to me, yeah, I understand. You see, when I see people and it's stressed out and in need of help, I can't help myself. Even if you don't like it, I jump in and help them. You know, I probably won't change it in this lifetime, but I'll work on it. <laughs> so we allow ourselves to be who we are with an understanding that we're doing our best. That's such a great little nugget of a story for us all to reflect on and carry past this podcast interview. I I love that. I mean, you could have enough of self-awareness to know that you just don't like those funny little moments of simple instruction. And then on the converse, he's, it's part of his being to help others who are struggling. Yes. (laughs) He's the nurturer, not me. Right. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. How many, you know, sleepless nights have we all had with with conversations that started just like with something as inane and and simple as that, right? So, okay, I'm going to use that one probably by the end of the day in some way. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I I love the Challenger episode. I've done a lot of reading about that. I I love Richard Feynman. He was the physicist who Mm. in the end of that, address the congressional hearing. Yes. And, you know, and he did, he did what he did in such a non-emotional frictionless way. He, at the very, very end, he had a glass of water with an ice cube or two in it with a piece of the, of the uh, gasket in there. And then, you know, at just the right moment, he brought it out and then took the rubber and went tick. <laughs> and it was non-emotional. There was no arguing what just happened. And there was a level of aha. I mean, I've got one more question I'd like to ask you on this subject. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I notice in society that's our hardest stumbling block right now is for one side who may be right to protect the other side's dignity Mm -hmm. so that they can say, what was I thinking? Mm -hmm. Like I see that people just keep doubling down and doubling down and doubling down on stuff that intellectually they probably know 
is going in a wrong direction, but we make it so hard for people to change their mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got any thoughts on that, on how we protect people's dignity in those moments of reversal? Yeah. yeah, there's a difference between confrontation and challenge. Okay. And that's in tone. So I'm a very direct coach. Okay. Very direct coach. But again, because I come to the conversation with, I am here for you. I care about you. And they sense that. They feel that. They, you know, they know I'm not, I'm, you know, do no harm. But because of that, I can get direct. You know, like last night I was watching this where the guy said, um, uh, he's in the Philippines. They're about to have rainy season and there's a hole in the roof. But his wife is all freaked out about having construction workers come in because of COVID. And then he, he said, I have to have this conversation. But then he went into this whole thing about, oh, I'm just going to listen to her and show empathy because she's scared. And well, that's nice. You know, and I said, OK, that's that's really nice that you're going to do that. In the meanwhile, your house is going to flood. <laughs> OK, you know? yeah. so yeah. do you hear yourself that you backed off of something you feel is critical because you're scared of your wife's response? Mm-hmm. That was a huge challenge. But in the way that I presented it, I don't think I took away his dignity or what he thought was right. But I did it in a way that it's like, and your house is going to flood. You know, do you recognize how you're getting lost in your fear and not dealing with a critical problem? Okay, I could challenge him because, again, the energy I bring. If I don't do that, if I just say, you know, get off it, you know, you're a wimp and you're scared of your wife, (laughs) you know, not going to work, not going to work. I use that reflection in the question with my energy and it made him stop and go, and embarrassing. Yeah, you're mm. right. You're right. Okay, Gosh. so let's talk about how you can approach this differently without, you know, while still listening to your wife and hearing her out, but that you can be heard in a different way too. Mm. The, how many conversations go unsaid? I always like to say, you know, if you don't talk it out, you're going to act it out. Yes, well said. Well and said. it is so good. It's going to be so much weirder if you're just walking around acting it out. Then, But I think that what you've just put down there is the reason. is because we fear, you know, yeah. the response. So we just keep putting right. those hard conversations What is off. it that we've been taught that emotions are bad and we fear it in other people? Yeah. No, they're just energy moving through the body. You know, what, what does that emotion mean to you? You know? That's it. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's just energy moving. I guess that's a way better way of the way I've been talking about friction. Thank you for improving my way of thinking there. You know, friction when we're ideating or when we're trying to come up with something new, it's just energy, energy moving, moving through, the, through body the body and really energy just moving through the group. Absolutely. The energetic exchange. Right. So one person feels like I'm not being heard. I'm not being heard. And there's tension. And all of a sudden, everyone picks up on that tension and it just mm-hmm. escalates. Right. Oh, I really, I, I definitely want to make sure that we come out of this with some new thoughts in that area. I know I'm going to be, I'm going to think of you probably Monday morning or maybe tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a family, I've got Good a family meal that. tonight. So <laughs> there's always plenty yeah, of places. Yeah, yeah. Families are great places to practice this because they trigger us all over. Yeah. Well, that kind of reminds me of the the constraints of our pandemic, which I don't want to go through this whole conversation and not, not address. But what I've noticed, we've been talking a lot about the stumbling blocks. 
that that of that we all face in our way that we handle our emotions and interact. But something I've noticed that I wonder if you've noticed is I've noticed people have such a much uh, a greater impulse to help others mm. since the pandemic. It's yeah. just all around me in the in the dental office. You know, people are constantly telling me stories of something nice that somebody did for them or that they're doing for somebody else. It's one of the the you know the opportunities right. in, in disaster all, here. Yeah, yeah. So, so can we remember to do that when the pandemic's over? <laughs> but that's a lovely thing. Okay, so as we kind of wind down here, and we we can chat again sometimes. We've had so much. I've had such a great time talking about this. Tell me where people can plug into your work, because I know people are going to want to learn more about this. What I have to say before we go any further is that I tell you, Dr. Reynolds has an amazing blog. So useful. She does the craziest cool thing. She she says exactly how many minutes it's going to take to read it. And here are some of the titles. You know, it's a four minute read to learn about <laughs> stop saying stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is such a great one. I was, uh, you know, my mind was a little bit blown by about three things that I could have done much better in the last week if I'd stopped saying stupid things. things. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was lovely. And then there's another one. Stop trying to pay attention. That one is a real twist because we're all trying so hard to pay attention in these important conversations, but it's actually detracting. That we're missing things. Yeah. Oh, here's another one. Um, five life lessons I learned on my hike. I love <laughs> that. Uh, you know, the, three yeah. minutes, I got three minutes for that. And you know what? I walk every day too. And yeah. that blog posting will make me think about my next walk entirely differently. This yeah. is the kind of work that Marsha Reynolds is doing out there, folks. Here's one. How to respond when someone is emotional. Four minutes. I need that. (laughs) (laughs) I totally need that. So anyway, um, can we kind of wind down here with a blog? Uh, Marsha writes for Psychology Today. What is it? Twice, Twice a month? I write for them once a month now. So I'm on Psychology Today. You can read my post there. The blog post you're talking about is on my website, covisioning, one word, covisioning.com. Okay. And and on that website, you'll, you know, there's lots of free stuff. Okay. Um, But all my books are listed there, you know, with links to where you can buy them, you know, my programs and, you know, resources. I I like to to post my resource articles, podcasts. (laughs) Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So where can people go directly? We're going to have all this in the show notes, but where directly can people start tapping in? They're going, are they going to go to what's the website? Yeah. Covisioning.com. But also if you're, you know, more of a visual, visual person, if you go to my YouTube channel, I I do at least twice a month and I did a whole bunch more when my last book came out, coach the person, little um, tip videos. Okay. Three minutes. You know, where you can watch a lot of the blog posts, the summaries and the tip video. Okay. So, you know, messing up early days, there may, I might have a channel or two that's empty. If you come on an empty channel, it's not mine. Look for me in a different way. Okay. Okay. I think I have an orange sweater on. (laughs) All right. Good. No, and then everything is there. The tip sheets, my TEDx talks and, you know, everything's on that channel. 
Okay, terrific. So I always end these podcast episodes asking my guests to tell me what reminds them that it is still an amazing world. Oh, you know, that's why I go out every morning, you know? So what I do every morning, I have a little route where I go up the mountain, I turn around, it's still dark, and I see the beautiful city, the lights of the city. And then I, I, I only run downhill. I don't run uphill. I run down the mountain and I have a little route. And as I'm coming home, the sun's coming up over the mountain, you know, and it's the sense of awe and wonder that we need to bring back in our life. That even in my conversation with you, the awe and the wonder that we've brought forth, that you bring forth in me with what you share, what you see, that we have to maintain that sense of awe and wonder in our lives. That is the bottom line, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been a lovely, lovely hour. And for more information about Dr. Reynolds' work, you can go in the show notes. This interview, Marsha, will be an article forever widening circles. We're changing our, yeah. So we're changing our format a little bit and we are going to make our Wednesday article published. Be, okay. be, be an ever widening circles article. So we'll put a whole lot of things in that article. That yeah, 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 yes. I'm willing. <laughs> I'm delighted. Okay. So if you want to hear more about this sort of insight and innovation, go rate and review this podcast. It's the nicest thing you can do for us here at Ever Widening Circles. If you want to help open a new era, Let's get this podcast and the insights that we're bringing out into the world flourishing. And the way to do that, apparently that the way that whole system works is you've got to rate and review us. So you can really help us by hopping over to where you get your podcast and taking that part of the equation up. As always, dive into the ever widening circles universe where there's the articles, the podcast, the conspiracy of goodness network. I've got two TED talks now that will make you feel a lot better about the future. I hope all these connections to goodness and progress will help you in your week and that Marcia and I have helped you make a couple of leaps. All right. Have a great week.